they're going to have to get the data from somewhere, right? And that's, I think, where the design model is going to is going to be that central repository of everything that's going to go into the, the, the building or the facility, um, and that's going to enable a whole lot of you know fleet of robots to to execute. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Hamza Samberi. He is the Director of Innovation at Haskell. With a focus on innovation and digitization, he is committed to improving the construction industry through the use of some cutting edge technology. He is always looking for ways to push the boundaries of what is possible in the industry. Welcome to the show, Hamza. Thank you for having me, Todd. I'm excited. Yeah, looking forward to it. So let's start with your your background. What brought you into the, the world of construction? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks thanks for the for the quick intro, Hamza Shinbari. Um, I've been with Haskell for a little bit over seven years now, coming up to eight. Um, and it all started, you know, I, I think I mentioned that story maybe once before, which is talking about like childhood, right? And then uh, where I grew up is like we, there was a house that was being built right next to us. And it was fascinating. I was like eight, nine years old and just constantly looking through the window to see what the contractor is doing, what they're up to next. So that always kind of like piqued my curiosity. Uh, but then when I went after after high school, I said, I, I'm, I'm going to start architecture, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a designer. Yes, that's part of it, right? And I go in there and I'm like, yeah, that's quickly I realized that that's not for me. Uh, so that's kind of like pivot to to the construction management role. Um, so finished my, my master's and then the PhD from University of Florida. Again, focus on construction management. Um, dissertation was about, you know, enhancing uh, construction management education using video games. And then... Um, you know, using the technologies, and that was, I'm talking about like 2008, 2009, uh, things started really wrapping up with BIM and, and Revit and, and the use of, of BIM in, in general. Um, and that kind of also piqued my curiosity more. So I started, you know, dabbling more in that and, and to be as, as much of an expert as I could possibly be back then. Um, and that's kind of what started my journey here at, at Haskell, which is like that BIM role uh, that kind of transitioned into the innovation and looking at all these amazing technologies that we have in the space right now. Yeah. Very nice. So what do you think has been the biggest evolution over the, uh, you know, last 15 years, there's been a lot of change happening, but what's been, what are some of the, the big markers for you? Yeah. I mean, a lot of changes for, for sure. Um, I think BIM and having that 3d model really enabled so much more layers of of different technologies that can enhance on that and can have you know better communication like going from from design intent to the person in the field that's actually putting the work in place i think that just opened the whole floodgate of, of different technologies and, and and things that that the workforce can can take a look at and understand the design much better than just looking at you know the the carbon copy blueprints that are just in 2d and somebody's always trying to kind of wrap their head around what's what's going to be built and then also what are the other trades and where are the conflicts and all that stuff because nobody really cleared any of that stuff prior right uh, so i think vim and vdc in general kind of paved the way to to a whole 
slew of, of technologies that that just makes everything better not only from going from the office to the field but also the other way around right is like reporting um, and comparison and actually you know reality capture and making sure that you're you're installing things in the correct way and the right way transparency making sure that the owner the architect designers everybody is seeing what's being built right and and comparing yeah. that to the model and to the design intent and not just have everybody have their own idea of what the design, what the building should look like. Um, and then we're all surprised at the end. It's like, wait a minute, I, I thought it would look different. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, what you're really getting at there is is breaking down the the silos of not only communication, but on the design side and, you know, the the free flowing of, of information, which historically construction has... Uh, you know, yeah. not done a great job of, of tearing down the, the the walls and busting up those silos. But where do you see kind of a, a gut check of where the industry is right now on on helping to bust up those silos? I think um, just AI right now is is becoming the big thing, right? And and the Chat GPT, everybody's like looking at that. It's like, hey, wait a minute, what can I do with that? How can yeah. that be applied to what we're doing in in the you know, AAC industry, right? Because we're not, we don't want to be uh, excluding anybody, right? AAC, um, architecture, engineering, and, and, and construction in general. But I think that would be the next layer, right? So if you have the design model and everybody's seeing the same thing and understanding the same thing, and we're running all our, you know, clashes from early on and understanding all the conflicts and then resolving all of that, I think AI is going to be the next big frontier where it's going to enable a lot more. So you're talking about automation, robotics, all of that other stuff. They're going to have to get the data from somewhere, right? And that's, I think, where the design model is going to is going to be that central repository of everything that's going to go into the the, the building or the facility, mm -hmm. um, and that's going to enable a whole lot of you know fleet of robots to to execute. Um, not that they're you know again, I don't want to set the alarms for anybody is like, this is going to take away my job. No, this is going to enable you to do more, you know, more productive, safer, all of that stuff. And, and, and you can capitalize on it if, if you choose to, to use it the right way. Yeah. Maybe let's double click on that. Cause I think that is a common refrain when AI starts yeah. getting brought up as, oh, it's going to take away all these different jobs and nobody's going to be working and <laughs> we'll, we'll have a whole host of, of issues and problems with that. Why, in your opinion, is that is that not true? What's the what's the myth there? The myth is um, AI is still not, again, still still not foolproof. It's not like something you're just gonna you know give it a prompt and it's going to do something fully 100 percent accurate and everything's gonna be great. No, there's still that layer of the human interaction that they're gonna look at it that that context that sometimes the computers miss, right? Or, or don't understand, don't connect the dots as, as it mm -hmm. should be. As, as, because us humans, we understand the contextual world around us much better. So there's always going to be that level of human interactions with it. And I think yeah. it's not going to be on its own. It's never going to get to, to, to like being, you know, doing something on its own at all, like to 100% degree. There's always going to be that human part that guides it through the process of whatever it is. And then the outcome, the output of that always have to be supervised, um, looked at and checked, double checked sometimes before we go to implement something. 
Um, and what that's going to enable is, you know, something that might take somebody a week to accomplish. They can do it in half a day because they have access to this tool that's just enabling them to do more faster, right? And then mm -hmm. that just cuts off the time to do the same things. It just it enables anybody to to be more productive, to to produce more um, and not have, you know, again, you, you don't want to just go into the, your, your bubble and say, no, no, this isn't going to affect me. I'm fine. <laughs> and then just be there. And then it's going to come. It's, it's absolutely coming. Yeah, no, I agree on on what you just said there on uh, kind of the, the role of AI. In, in my mind, it, it helps reduce the, the amount of mundane task, if you will, uh, and allows for people to do what they do best, which is think creatively, think in context, think of the the broader kind of impl implications and uh, kind of where it's it's heading. And, and yeah. I think that's really something cool that we, we won't have to necessarily do all the, again, I mean, those mundane kind of details of it. We can automate yeah. that and, and move on to more complex challenges. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's pivot a bit uh, and really focus in on, on creating the culture of, of innovation because all the cool new tech doesn't really mean anything unless you have the, the culture in place at the company to, to really make that flourish. So how do you go about creating a, a culture of innovation in construction? Oh, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've been at it right now. So Disrupt Tech is, is a separate LLC, wholly owned and operated by Haskell. We, we're part of Haskell, but we're a separate group for, for several reasons that we don't need to go into details here. But we've been at this for five years now. We started in 2018 um, and we're just getting to, you know, we're just starting to peel at, at the surface of what an innovative culture can actually achieve. Mm. Um, it's, it's not easy <laughs> and it really does take a long time, but it, it enables in, in the way that we're, that we're kind of like looking at it and, and working towards it. it is giving the employees a platform, giving them an outlet um, to express their ideas. Um, a lot of, you know, the corporate world, if, if you've, I'm sure you've seen it firsthand, a lot of the listeners have is, here's your job. I need you to do this and I need you to do it by this date. Go. And they, it just keeps coming, right? But creating a culture of innovation is, is enabling them to say, wait a minute. Yes, I can get this done by this date. But if I do it this way, I can get it done earlier or, you know, better or more accurate, whatever it is. Right. Um, and just giving them that voice, you wouldn't you wouldn't even believe how how exciting it makes the workforce is. You know, and people get excited just because we listen to their idea, even if it was crazy, you know, idea that that might not even be implemented, just listening to it and actually kind of like dissecting it and, and going to the root causes of the problem and understanding how we build a solution for that. It really is refreshing. And, and we get people really excited just, just talking about it. Uh, not to mention the people that went, that, that submitted ideas for, for us to kind of like look at and evaluate. And then we went all the way to prototyping and, and a patent as well. So you, you get the best of both worlds, right? Ideas that might have not gone anywhere, but got people excited because, you know, they have a voice, you know, somebody is mm -hmm. listening to their ideas and their pain points. But then the other hand of it is like somebody's idea actually made it into a product that is patentable, that is on the market. 
Yeah. Um, no, that's really cool. How do you deal with the the change management of it? I think that's a, a huge hurdle in uh, a lot of this, uh, especially if the the company didn't necessarily have that that kind of innovative uh, approach beforehand. How do you go about helping encourage others to embrace that change and really pairing it with uh, failure isn't necessarily a bad four letter word <laughs> yeah. that it's sometimes it's even actually a good thing to, to fail. Yeah, absolutely. So we, when we started again, it's like, everybody looked at us as like, are, are you looking to replace my job? I mean, uh, what are you doing? Why, why are you asking me all these questions about what I do? I'm like, no, I'm just trying to get to know you and, and what you do, you know, <laughs> I'm really not having any malicious intent or anything. It's very um, friendly. <laughs> it is very friendly. Yeah. We, we were just here to, to listen. Right. And that's how we framed it is like, we are here to listen to your, any issues that you might have, you know, any frustrations, anything that you do day in and day out. And it's the same thing and it's always mundane and it's always the same thing. And it's like, you can't wait to get done and just go home, right? It's like, what? Mm -hmm. tell us those things, right? So we can find solutions for you. Um, and of course, you know, a lot of people, you know, took it by like, gosh, that's just a fad. It's something that, you know, these guys are going to talk a little bit and then they're just going to go away. Uh, mm -hmm. But the more we talked, the more people that bubbled up and said, yes, I have, a, have a, a real problem statement here that I think I have an idea of how to solve it. And what we did is we created a, an annual kind of, event around it. So we call it a big pitch, which is kind of like Shark Tank style event where we get anybody to submit any ideas, however crazy or small it is, just give us ideas, right? No ideas are bad ideas. And we go through them. And when we talk to each person that submitted an idea and we go drill down through, you know, root cause analysis, what's, what's, the, what's the real meat of that problem statement? And then how do we solve it? Um, we pick the top five, we get them to present on top of, you know, on front of the executives. And one of them gets, you know, a $10,000 check, they get like a big prize out of it and funding to do to, to get their idea to the finish line. And then the next year, okay. and we started this in 2020. Um, and the next year, we come back with, hey, remember the winners from last year? Here's, here's where I at right now. Here's how much time and effort it's saving them. And it's, it's amazing to see that. And the more we do that, the more we highlight the wins, the more people get excited, right? Yeah. Um, and and we, we start getting more and more ideas. But to your point, failure is absolutely a big part of it. So we can't just get from, from an idea to an execution and just like, yeah, it works. No, it's like first version usually always fails <laughs> in, in so many regards, right? It might deliver... Like that's why I call it minimum viable product. It might deliver the very specific thing that you are looking to deliver, but there might be some side effects. There might be some things that can be tweaked that fails on different areas. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the, that's something that we're always also highlighting and, and sharing. And we, we write all these reports um, and we kind of try to, to share them internally. This is like one of our reports that this is what we did, like, especially for like a, a pilot project for a company, for a technology company out there. Mm -hmm. um, some of them work and that's great. And we go to scaling, right? And the report says scale, but some of them don't. Some of them, you know, don't work with the tech stack that we have or uh, the user experience wasn't well enough or there's something, whatever it is that, that didn't work, we still write the report. We still highlight it. We still put it out there telling the people, this is what we did. This is why it worked. This is why it didn't work. 
And how do we fix it? How do we go better from here? Yeah. So it's a constant yeah. battle, so to say, between <laughs> between the status quo and, and, and where we're trying to go, how, how are we getting better? Hey, innovators. Do you want to help inspire the next generation of architects, engineers, and builders? Applied Software Great Tech Group does too. In fact, they have launched a scholarship contest and need your help spreading the word. If you know any students or teachers who could benefit from the contest, tell them to visit asti.com slash AEC scholarship for more information. Applied Great Tech is giving away over $1,000 to help students pursue their dreams. And we need your help to make it happen. So what are you waiting for? Let's make a difference together. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I love the transparency aspect of it and the the willingness to share the the stories. I think a lot of times uh, the kind of success stories can fall flat because you're only yeah. talking about the success side, but any great success had failures along the way. So that's that helped really create the success in the end. So you got to be willing to, to take time and, and get uncomfortable and talk about the the failures and what missed the mark and why it, figure out how, how can you fine tune that and, and tweak it? Yeah. And it's, uh, it's only a failure if you stop, mm. <laughs> believe it or not, the story is always like that, right? Something fails. It's only a failure. If you stop, if you, if you learn from that failure and you try again and you keep getting better and iterating, you're going to get to success eventually. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I'm, I'm writing that line down. It's a good line. <laughs> uh, so how do you take the time to debrief and have that kind of self-reflective time? Um, a lot of projects that we have, it's, again, we, we've been doing this for five years. So we've, we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and, and in some projects, I think we, we as Disruptech, is like when I say we, Disruptech is, is kind of like the innovation arm and then also investment arm. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to drive this technology adoption. So when we find a technology and we get it in front of the users, we have to get their buy-in first. Otherwise, nobody's going to do anything with it, right? So we have to sell them. So I become the salesperson, the marketing person for that technology company internally. And once I sell them on it, we try to take the backseat, right? So we, we get them onboarded, we get them trained on it, and then we follow up every week or so, every other week, maybe sometimes, um, just to keep a pulse on it, right? But we try to take the backseat saying that you got this, you can handle it. Um, and that's, that's, that, that's another big factor of, of creating an innovation culture. It's fighting those drivers, those uh, people that are enthusiastic, that are tech savvy, that are always looking for the best thing, right? If you find those, they'll help you achieve that by spreading the word, by talking about it, by the more of those you find. And I'm, I assure you, they're in every company, everywhere. You just have to find them and identify them and, and, and put them to use, right? For, for, for the betterment of, of, the, of the company. Um, but part of what, we're, what we try to do, like we failed early on is not only keeping track of some of these technology pilots or, or projects that we're trying to put out there, because again, I want to be in the backseat. I don't want to be the driver of this. I want somebody from the project team to drive it, to get it to the finish line so I can get better, more honest feedback on what they thought about it. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And, and one thing that we found is like, if you wait until the end of that pilot project, you're going to lose 70 to 80% of the actual feedback because it's just mm. gone by now. You know, mm. it's like uh, people kind of scrub it away and, and just move on. One, they don't, they might not remember the actual, you know, issues that they encountered or turnover is, is a real issue for a lot of different companies. So that person that was driving the project might have left. So now I have no source to go to and say, hey, what did you think of this? So we found it, it's always important to, to get that feedback constantly. So whenever we have that pulse check, it's like, let me know what you think, you know, and, and start asking very direct, specific questions about this feature and that specific things and th this work um, and jotting them down, right? It's like, that's, that's something that I can't speak off you know, highly enough, which is documentation, making sure that everything is documented because, I, and, and again, that was part of my failure early on. It's like, yeah, I'll remember that. Yeah, he told me all the things. I'll, I'll remember it when I'm ready to write the report 12 months from now. Yeah, no, yeah, I can remember any of that. <laughs> documentation um, in a structured way is super important. And that's why we have like a, our dedicated CRM within the company that we're tracking everybody that we worked with from the technology world and internally within Haskell and mm. what, what product did we work with them on? And then what is their feedback? And it's like a, a recurring thing. There's like a notes there that you can just constantly populate. That makes it so much easier later when you're coming back to write the report is like, you have all the information. Now you just need to distill it and compile it in, in one report. Yeah, no, I think that's so good. The, the continuous, check-ins and, and having those feedback loops early and often because uh, by the end yeah. you're, you're exactly right you're you either have totally uh, hyped up something that was probably pretty small or you are downplaying it because you got through it and you're like oh it wasn't that big a deal in the end but it was a pain point yeah. during it and yeah i think that's it's wise advice for sure uh so at, at haskell you kind of operate in three buckets, if you will, the invest, invent, and innovate. How do you right. balance those perspectives and and shift your your mindset when when need to and, and not get kind of bogged down in, in one of those? Oh, they, they are they are they are separate, but also they are very, very connected. I didn't even realize how connected these three eyes are. Um, so to me, the way that we looked at it, and we have it like Venn diagrammed and all, which is like innovate. Innovate is the biggest circle, right? Because it, innovation is so such a nebulous and big word that might not mean the same thing to a lot of different people, right? But to me, innovation is just the, the mindset to get better at whatever it is, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's using technology or not, it's a, just a process. It could be. It's an innovation, right? Um, so that's, to me, the biggest kind of bucket of, of collecting ideas and, and and pain points and, and uh, different solutions that we're seeing from the market, all of that go into that bucket of, of innovation, right? And then it silos down and we have different filters of how do we look at it and which, which filter, which lens do we look at it, right? Um, and then it goes either in the, in the invest mode, right? So if we see a technology that is promising that we see high potential in, and we try to get quick feedback internally from, from end users, that becomes an investment opportunity that can make the company, you know, good returns in the long term. Um, invent is if I have it, like again in the big bucket of innovation, if I found a problem statement that has no connections to to the outside ecosystem, that's when I put 
that hat on, right? Again, it's all about switching the hats between the three different eyes. And we go into invent mode, R&D mode, right? Whether it's software, where it's hardware, um, we kind of try to drill down into what the root cause, come up with, you know, spit out so many different solutions, right? Again, no idea is, is a bad idea, especially in, <laughs> in design thinking and, and ideation. Um, and, and then go start talking to people that have solved a similar problem, right? And it's, 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 again, there is no really clear distinct between the three. It's, it's really just all interconnected and always talking to each other in one way or another, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, I think they all, I, I see how they all play nicely together <laughs> yeah. for sure. And that's where the power comes in is having those three different buckets. Cause they all, they all for sure play, play into each other. Uh, what kind of personas do you typically kind of pull in to the, the ideation group? Like what, what kind of cross section of the company has a, a role? Everyone, um, we, we really try to be open and inclusive to everyone in any department. Right. But what we're seeing the most from is, you know, you're talking about assistant project managers. Those are, you know, the hungry guys and gals that are just joining the force um, and, and they're going to become a project manager at, in, in, in the future, right? Those are the people I think that, that really resonate a lot with a lot of the things that we're trying to, to accomplish. And they have so many great ideas because I don't know if, if, you, if you're familiar with an APM role or I think like in, in different companies, they call them like project engineer, which is like mm -hmm. the entry level they get a lot of the grunt work, right? Of a project is like, here's a list yeah, put of your dues in. <laughs> contractor, go you know, sort them and do something with them. So they, they deal with that, with those pain points early on. Mm -hmm. And also they're young and they're from a different generation. So it really resonates with them and we work really well with them. Uh, but Haskell is, is different from a lot of the different, you know, companies in, in, the, in, the, in our top 100 in a sense that we're design built, right? We're not just a GC. So we have mm -hmm. architects, we have designers, engineers, and some of those earlier, you know, engineers in their journey, also they're super excited about such technologies. And how do I, how do I design things faster, better, more accurate, the first go round, right? How do I turn around, you know, the, the, uh, the PI issue, the permit issue, drawing set very quickly. I don't want to, you know, spend two days trying to print PDFs. You know, it's like those those are the mm -hmm. people that we're really seeing a lot of traction with. And they are excited to get in the room and talk about problem statements and ideas and solutions and, and what might work, what might not. Um, we love working with our superintendents. Superintendents are super awesome. And they are really the, the, the main person in any job site that's that's going to make or break the technology. They're really hard to get in, like to get some time with them because they're always like super busy. So we can't really get them into a room just to kind of ideate and talk about problem statement. But but when we get them like bought in on, on a technology or solution, they're usually our biggest drivers um, of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the, the young generation that you're mentioning there is they bring so much yeah. energy and, and and passion to it that, that's really good for construction i'm, I'm going to steal a line from amy marks that she talks about the expected experience of construction and 
I think for so long construction has kind of operated in, in two modes. You know, you go into your, your personal life and everybody has their, their phone right by them. And we expect to, you know, track everything along the way and, and have very detailed uh, descriptions of everything that, that we're, we're looking for. But then yeah. when we come into construction and we, we put our construction hat, not our, our personal hat, we're like, oh yeah, we can email this person to call this person to then, you know, text this person to try to find the information maybe on a piece right. of paper somewhere. We would never put up with that in our, our personal life. And the younger generation coming into the industry, I think it's, is helping to point this out <laughs> and call it out of like, why is it working like this? This makes no sense. Can we Absolutely. please streamline this and create some efficiency here? <laughs> Absolutely. But we're also, so I'm going to, I'm going to play a pun on, on, on your podcast name. We're also trying to bridge the gap when it comes to the knowledge, right? Cause yes, yeah, these, these new, sure. like new generation, they, they have the enthusiasm and the tech savviness and all that stuff that they bring with them, but they don't have the knowledge that the superintendent that's been doing this for 30 years have, right? Yeah. So how do we bridge that? And that's that's one of the winner ideas of, of Big Pitch in 2021, which is like having a centralized lessons learned platform that can mm -hmm. drive that knowledge, right? And, and compile all the knowledge that are shared from across the company, from everybody in the company that, that did anything in any project. Um, what went wrong? What went right? How do we capitalize on that? How do we put it all in a structured database that the next generation, when we create a new project, and now we're adding a layer to it in, in AI, is it pulls up all the relevant information based on what project type or project size, location, all this stuff. It's like, here are the things that you need to be aware of that might go wrong. Mm -hmm. Here are the things that went right in the previous projects and you might want to do again. Uh, so we're super yeah. excited about that. We worked with with Via Technic and, and developed Precogs. That's that's a the lessons learned platform that we are rolling out internally, and and, and Via Technic is is bringing it to market as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I think you're exactly right that the the companies like you guys that are uh, being able to find a way to pair the knowledge of experience with the enthusiasm and passion of innovation. Yeah, that's where the magic is is happening because you have to have you have to have both. You can't exactly fall on on one side or the other, or it's, you're trying to, you know, drive a car with only wheels on one side. <laughs> you're not going to get very far. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, more than agree. Uh, what do you see as kind of the the next trend coming down in in the industry to to help in the industrialization of construction? I think robots are are going to take over. Not not in a Skynet way, <laughs> but but more of coming for us, huh? <laughs> they're not coming for us. They're coming to help us. <laughs> uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna take away a lot of this unsafe jobs uh, or tasks, so to say. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of work that happens in like leading edges or elevated workplaces that we don't need a person there anymore. I guess like with the technology that's coming, we're not going to need a person to be up 30, 40, maybe a hundred foot up in the air in a small bucket trying to weld or, or bolt something together. You know, um, mm -hmm. there are robots that can do that. And, and again, robots are not going to take away jobs. They are going to assist in, in making jobs more efficient and safer. That's more important. Mm -hmm. Um, and one way that we're, we're looking at it, we're, we're talking to a couple of companies that are that are tackling this head on, which is like the robotic arm 
it takes so much effort and, and programming to get it to do the job correctly, right? But once you teach it, I mean, it, it gets better, of course, in machine learning and all that stuff. But what if we take that out of the equation? You don't need to teach it everything. You teach it like the basics and then you have the person controlling it, right? Mm -hmm. So now you're, you're up in like 100 foot, but instead of the person being up 100 foot on a, on a, on a bucket, you send the robotic arm in the bucket and the person is below on the ground at safety, controlling the bucket and seeing what it's seeing and controlling it and doing all of that skilled labor yeah. aspect, but remotely, right? So yeah. it, it might start with being on the ground right next to the unit, but then later, who knows? It might be like you're one skilled operator that's doing three different job sites across the country from your home. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I, I like that world. <laughs> uh, well, how do people find out more information on what you all are, are doing and connect with you? We, uh, it's a website. I always like to say, uh, go to disrupttech.com, but good luck spelling it because it's funky. Uh, <laughs> but if you go to, if you go to haskell.com, I mean, you can, you can probably find your way around in, in the, in the maze and, and navigate to innovation and then find disruptech. Or, uh, if you Google Hamza Shanbari, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll be the first that <laughs> gets up there. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm very big on LinkedIn. So find me, connect with me. I'm, I'll be more than happy to share additional information or answer any questions you may have. Awesome. Well, last question for you. If I could give you all power and you could snap your fingers to innovate one thing in construction, what would you pick to innovate? Oh, that's, uh, that's a good question. And I have a very good answer for it that I've been getting a lot of negative feedback on, I don't know, to <laughs> me. Uh, so if it's one thing that I can snap my finger and solve is RFIs, hmm. I think, I believe that RFIs should not exist. I, I just really think RFIs are an unnecessary thing. Yeah. And it's only existing because the design is not clear enough, is not complete enough, is not reviewed enough, right? So that's, I think, the mm -hmm. next layer of AI that we're seeing is with that design review and checks and balances and making sure that all the answers are there, whether in the mm -hmm. model, whether in the drawings, whether in specifications, if all the answers are there, then there's no need for RFIs. You don't need to ask the, the, the designer what they meant by this because it's, it should all be there. It's there, yeah. Yeah, no, That's I think that makes that a, really, a ton of really sense. bugs me. <laughs> yeah, a perfect world. The model theoretically contains all the data and all the information that you need to build the building. I know we're theoretically yeah. we're not there. That's the perfect world. <laughs> Hence why we have RFIs. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a good one. Well, Hamza, thanks so much for for taking the time and coming on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, listen closely to those around you to really understand their pain points as they express them. When you do this, you will start to be able to identify potential solutions to the problem that will actually address the real world issue and create buy-in from the team. Second take, I love the line Hamza said that it is only a failure if you stop. That's so true. There are so many valuable lessons learned from a failure. If you have the courage to do an honest self-assessment, 
and grit to move forward. Final take, it is important to create circular feedback loops regularly throughout the process so you can document everything along the way instead of waiting for the end. You will be able to pivot in the right direction quicker and easier. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software Great Tech Group at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software Great Tech Group production. Copyright Applied Software Great Tech Group 2023.